1: Well, for a long time, baseball people, Memorial Day weekend was uh, the beginning of the season in a lot of people's minds. Even though opening day was earlier, Bruce Levine, Memorial Day weekend used to be double headers all the time, and really it meant that life was beginning outside for the rest of the summer, and baseball a big part of that. I wish that were the case right now. Good morning, sir. How are you?
3: Good morning, Matt. Yeah, you're right. Uh, you know, it, it was the, you know, I mean, there's the... The three big days, the three big holidays during the baseball season. Memorial Day was that first post that you hit, July 4th, the second, Labor Day, you know, when everybody, everything looks set toward the playoffs and the teams that were going to be serious. Uh, This first post is not being hit, except for the fact that we're hearing about more negotiations between the owners and players. First, about the medical, next, uh, early this week, we're supposed to hear. Uh, another crucial part of this, and that is discussions of what players would get paid, what they would accept, what type of offer is being made from owners. We heard about 50-50 splits of uh, revenue, players saying that wouldn't be sufficient. I'm being told it's, it's going to be a different offer that doesn't necessarily present a 50-50 revenue split, but more hmm. of a salary-based offer. Uh, depending on games played and the uh, season being finished. So it's going to be interesting to uh, see those things and whether or not uh, both sides will be leaking out information, uh, much like it's been done over the past couple months.
1: Yeah, we should uh, we should talk about some of the details of what we know happened this past week and what we believe is going to happen in the upcoming days. But um, but first, let's tell people what's going on. You can always listen to the show as you are, or if you're not, I don't know how you're hearing this. But tell a friend that they should be listening. You can interact with us at 312-644-6767. You can text us at 670-11 and um, some uh, lots to discuss, and we'll be taking your phone calls. You'll also hear some sound from a couple of baseball guests with uh, interesting and applicable thoughts that were on the score during the week. But we've got a couple of guests of our own starting at 9.30, Bruce.
3: Yes, we do. Uh, Wayne Randazzo, a Chicago guy, born and bred. Uh, now uh, one of the Mets broadcasters on radio will be joining us at 9.30. And then Chicago Cubs left-hander and ace, John Lester will be joining us at 10 o'clock. So uh, that's going to be uh, some interesting conversation with John. Never a guy to hold back his thoughts. Always has a uh, strong opinion as to what's going on. He will be joining us at 10 o'clock. Uh, your phone calls, as uh, Matt has stated, always a welcome part of our show at 312-644-6767. And Matt, let's uh, just hop into it uh, right now, Uh This week in uh, baseball, the players were going over documents sent over by uh, the owners last week of how the baseball games and ballparks and hotel facilities would look, uh, considering uh, using uh, private jets like they normally do. Uh, Everything that, that gets a ball player from his home to a visiting ballpark and plays a game, as well as his own ballpark, uh, was uh, in these documents. Uh, 67 pages uh, were being uh, disseminated by the uh, Players Association on behalf of the players. And uh, the rebuttal on that, uh, from what I understand, will begin also uh, relatively soon, as to what things things are workable for the players, what needs to be tweaked, Uh, again, People should understand, and I don't know, Matt, if they do, that these are negotiations beginning. So when, when the owners offer a plan to the players, like this 67-page manuscript about how uh, social distancing and medical will work for the players, it's, it's a proposed p- plan, and it's been worked uh, in depth for many, many uh, hours by medical people, science people, baseball people, but it's only a negotiation. So yes, it's not I, I, locked in stone. I,
1: no, not, not at all. Um, and apparently, from, from what I've heard, Bruce, it was taken in good faith by the players and by the ball clubs as a first draft. As like, here is your 67-page first draft. And it's it was incredibly thorough. Um, but certain ball clubs have gotten back to MLB with um, some suggestions. What they think ought to be adjusted and then, according to at least one source this week, the Players Union did respond to the health protocols proposal, and they asked for some things which I think makes sense, some things that, um, that I think we believe they were going to ask. More testing frequency, asking for daily testing. This is uh, according to Joel Sherman in the New York Post. Um, asking for the hydrotherapy pools to be usable and open, Um, hopefully the showering restrictions to be lifted, at least before they go on road trips, those kind of things. So so, so the players, as you say, have, have negotiated back and there will probably be more give and take about this. I'm glad that safety and that stuff has come first before the money, because anything they can do to increase the trust would be great. Anything they can do to make it Make it feel like and, of course, seem like publicly that they have everyone's well-being in mind would be very welcome.
3: Well, and when you talk about well-being, Matt, I'll I'll, I'll address this question to you. And that is, uh, if you know that uh, athletes or baseball players are getting preferential testing and extra testing and more medical than the average public people are, are you okay with that?
1: Uh, it's, It's a big ask. It's a big ask, isn't it? Because it it it's a big ask. Are you okay with it,
3: Bruce? No. I, well, thanks for throwing it back to me, Matt. That's a, <laughs> that's, that's, that's that shows your experience in this field. Was, <laughs> uh, I I I I don't I don't know if I'm okay with that, and I don't know if that's the plan. So you know, this is this is our perception that uh, yeah. Major League Baseball's union is going to ask for extra testing. Will that be available to? Uh, to you and to your family and your loved ones uh the same as it would be to major league baseball or is this an acceptable exception mm. for sports to return knowing uh, and the public knowing that this is an entertainment forum an important one and that uh they want not only athletes to uh, be there and in entertaining them but also be healthy uh is is that an would that be an acceptable exception and i I really go up and back on that because we all desperately want our sports back. We want it to be healthy. Mm -hmm. We want these guys to be in great condition. It's a sport where fans want to come back and be able to watch it. And in order for that to happen, we have to first ensure the health of the athletes and the people that are going to be in the arena.
1: Yeah, well, well, this is why I'm fascinated by one of the measures that's in there is that the tests that MLB plans to use is the saliva test not the swab test with most people are familiar with where the cotton swab goes up the nose but the saliva test which as of the last science that i read is not quite up to speed yet but mlb is investing in the production and testing of those tests and then would be investing in the in in the the production of them so they would have enough And that would actually be doing some good towards society at large. If they can further the saliva test and make that more available, then they wouldn't be taking tests away from the hospitals that have to ration them at this point and that kind of thing. So as MLB works with the anti-doping lab in Salt Lake City and does this, that to me would be a big, big deal if they can uh, make the saliva test what they use.
3: And we also know that MLB... uh Employees were tested uh, earlier, in, back in April, and that uh, many tests were done uh, to make sure that everybody was, uh, was well and safe. But again, uh, the issue of uh, the public getting the same uh, chances that the sports players, and in this mm-hmm. case, baseball players would, uh, is a uh, you know that that is a hot topic, and and it's and it's. As you, as you informed me by throwing it back at me, there's no easy answer to that. You know, I mean, you you folks, uh, folks,
1: I'm not going to live with, uh, I'm not going to live that one down for a while and I should, you
3: you can, well, no, but I mean, you you were right. You know, your perception (laughs) of answering that was, Hey, this is, uh, this is not an easy, there's no easy answer on this, you know? So from, from all of that, I would have to say that, um, you know, that was the proper answer. Because you need more time to think about an answer like that. There's no, there's no right or wrong to that answer well, right away.
1: Well, here's the deal, Bruce. We, we've, we've had to become not just economists and negotiation experts. I mean, last week, you and I spent the better part of two hours dissecting the financials, and we could again. I, I, you know, we, We've worked hard to try and understand this stuff, right? Now we're, of course, amateur epidemiologists, Right and now, now I, I, I mean, I know a tremendous amount about the safety and protocols. I would, I would love for this to be what you, you posited before the show, and and then I tweeted it, so I co-opted your thought. I'm great at that, but you, you, you asked before the show. Is this the final week without a definitive yes or no of whether baseball returns? This very well could be. And wouldn't that be great to be talking about either baseball or no baseball um, in one way or the other? Obviously, we'd prefer baseball, but we might have that next week because the owners are going to they're going to present their economic proposal on Tuesday.
3: Right? Yeah, you know what, Matt, it's not a horrible thing. The only horrible thing is that you know we don't have baseball, people aren't working. I mean, there's a lot of real horrible things out there. But deadlines in business are never, to me, a horrible thing. Uh, in this case, it's uh, the doom and gloom of, well, if they don't meet the deadline, either side backs away, we're not going to have a season, there won't be any baseball. Uh, I, I think the players and the owners all feel uh, that it's, Incumbent upon both sides to uh, get a season in. They cannot play with this sport. Okay, we've talked about this numerous times. They mm-hmm. cannot play that game of, hey, we'll just we'll just box the season and that's it, uh, without showing the best effort uh, on all these areas like they they have been. Uh, you know, we we hear too much about the economics of baseball and how that might ruin it. I don't think that's what it is. This this is still all about uh, safety, health issues, logistics of players playing. Uh, what happens when they do get sick? Uh, th- those are the those are the main issues. Because once there's an agreement, and, and there there will be at some point, uh, fans j- just want that to go away. They, we don't want to listen about uh, how these dollars are going to be split up once they're done. What what we want to know is when they're going to play. Will it be safe to go? When will it be safe again for fans to be able to show up at ballparks? And uh, will we have a sport that is viable uh, for the next three months without interruption?
1: Right. Will we have games on TV as an option to to watch and enjoy? Um, as the last dance is over, so so people people need something uh, now more than ever. And all these every sport is 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 plotting and contemplating. The ways that they might return. You said something that sparked my interest, Bruce, this economic proposal that is supposed to be presented to the players on Tuesday by the owners. You said it will not have, from what you believe, the 50-50 revenue split that had been out there and offered, the way that a lot of players had reacted to that, the way that the union had reacted to that publicly, um, that really seemed to be perhaps a non-starter in the negotiations. Um, what what can you tell us about what you've heard about well, what well, might be in this I proposal just, on Tuesday?
3: I do not have the exact way that it's going to be presented. I just was told by a couple sources that there would be a more creative way of uh, of giving them the players their money. Now we know that players received 170 million dollars for April and May. That was accepted. The Players Association took that money. For the group, it was divided up among the players in what, whatever the ratios they felt players should be paid uh, for the 750, or in the case of a 40-man roster, it would be uh, 1,200 players. So whatever way that was divided up, it was. We have not gotten any information about how that was divided up and what percentages each player got. We've heard some dribs and drabs about you know, how the percentages would work. Nothing definitive. In this case, uh, it just won't be a pure 50-50. Uh, the, the main concern would be is uh, lump sums of money, again, given to uh, the Players Association as opposed to people being paid a salary. Uh, that's a, there's a big difference in that, Matt. I mean, you know, mm-hmm. normally uh, clubs are responsible for play, paying uh, Chris Bryant uh, $18 million, A year like the Cubs, okay? He gets 18 million. In in these proposals and in this situation, uh, clubs are not paying players individually their amounts of money. It's going to have to be revenues given to the Players Association and then divided by the Players Association for those players and dibbied up the way that they figure that they come up with their own configuration of how those salaries should be paid. Um, Hmm. That is. That's a a much different procedure than we're used to right now. So everything is different. I cannot give you the defined way that they're going to present the revenues and how they want to uh, pay the players. I've just been told that it'll be more creative than just a 50-50 revenue split.
1: Well, what's interesting is that just the framework with which you said that the lump sum would go to the players' union and then they they would divide, it's the owners putting the onus back on the players to share amongst themselves, saying... Look, um, we're all trying to figure out how to make things work. We need your help. We understand that you don't want to trust us. Okay, well, we'll give you everything we get. Then you can decide what to do with it. Yeah, um, and
3: again, for the for the players, that, that that to them, that's revenue sharing. That is accepting a salary cap. Uh, yeah, that's the that's the first step and the the first procedure toward we're establishing new rules. We agree that there should be a salary cap, that there should be a floor, and uh, that that presents an awful lot of red flags for the players' association, the agents, and the players of those uh, of, of those uh, people to to look at and say, "Well, you know, this is all about 2021 and after. It's not about paying yep. players just in 2020."
1: You know, the, the, this this thing that that the players need to get over, and I hope that they are is this idea that they had a deal in place, because I know that the deal that they had for May said, and we will pay you the prorated amount for games if we do play some games. But there was a very clear, what I've seen categorized as, quote, clear as day, unquote, the clause in there that if they're going to play games without fans, that would fall under the reasonable um, realm of reopening the conversation, because that changes the revenue so dramatically. So. Uh, the players and the union and Scott Boris and others have been so full of strong bluster about, we have a deal. We, we don't need to talk. No, you do mm-hmm. need to talk. It's right well, there in the agreement that you made. They need to get over that part of it.
3: I do not have a horse in the race. Matt. I do not. My only horse is uh, the fans' horse, okay? That uh, baseball comes back and that the, the fans have uh, the, their game back. Because ultimately, and we've talked about it on numerous occasions over this Uh, period of time, it's proven to be the fans game more than ever. It's been hammered home more to the players and owners than ever before, because we see what type of impact it has on the game and the financial part of the game with no fans in the ballpark. That's just, you know, that's just the percentages of the fan impact when they don't go to the ballpark that that doesn't include everything else. that goes along with, uh, fans watching on TV fans buying merchandise so this is this more than ever sets uh, sets a, a precedent and hammers home the fact that without the fans both sides have nothing and w- cer- certainly we've always known that but nothing has uh, hammered this home more than these last uh, uh, eight or nine weeks and the fact that uh, you know without them being able to able to participate, it's gonna be difficult for Major League Baseball to put a product out there and to keep it interesting without that participation.
1: Without a doubt. Um, We see across baseball organizations having to make lots of hard decisions. Um, Some organizations agreeing to pay employees through June, the White Sox, the Cardinals, the Twins, among those who have agreed to do that, these are non-baseball employees. We've seen the Phillies uh, deciding to keep everyone on payroll through October. The Tigers and Rockies keeping people on the payroll as long as possible. We've seen many other teams having to institute furloughs. We got a we got a lot more information on the Cubs' new financial reality this week um, via our colleague David Haw, over at the Scores website. Uh, Bruce, and you're talking about major, major pay cuts for the highest paid people within the organization, the president of Baseball Ops, and the president of Business Ops, and David Ross and others took big, big pay cuts. They chose to do that instead of furloughs at this point.
3: Yeah, let's. we'll talk about, more about that and we wanna get your input as well at 312-644-6767. Wayne Randazzo of the Mets joining us in about 10 minutes and John Lester at the top of the hour. Again, 312-644-6767.
1: We will be right back on Inside the Clubhouse. He's Bruce Levine and Matt Spiegel. You're listening to 670 The Score.
0: podcast all lowercase go to shopify.com slash odyssey podcast now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in shopify.com slash odyssey podcast
1: welcome back to inside the clubhouse on 670 to score i'm matt spiegel he's bruce levine uh bruce as mentioned our colleague david hall wrote about the cubs New financial reality, a lot of details in there. What jumped out uh, to you that we should share with the listeners?
3: Well, uh, that um, beginning with Theo Epstein, people are going to take a huge hit on their salaries going forward. If you consider that Theo Epstein makes $9.5 million a year, which is a lofty sum and uh, something to be admired, uh, that 35% is going to come off the books. Probably uh, I'm being told for the next year. So uh, it, with, with that, with that in mind, uh, you, it funnels down from there: uh, employees, front office people, uh, scouts, uh, all the way down to uh, you know people uh, that are uh, entry level, all taking cuts from uh, 10% to 35%. Uh, that's that's pretty significant, and it's and it shows you. Uh, the reality of the baseball world and the sports world and where we're at right now. And uh, this is, a, uh, th- this is a, a very decisive thing that Tom Ricketts has done to not just address this for the next month or uh, six weeks, but to, to take a long-term look at this and say, you know what, folks, so this is going to be a, a, for the next year.
1: Last week, Bruce, we talked a lot about the revenue sharing that usually goes on between the teams because there's the big five or six that make a ton on day of game revenue and then a lot of the others that make much less. And I appreciated the context from David that the Tampa Rays have game day revenues that hover around 25%. The league average is around 39%. Tom Ricketts had said in that um, Zoom call with season ticket holders last week that theirs, the Cubs, is around 70% from game day revenue. And one of the few publicly held franchises, the Braves, their company, Liberty Media, had to make it public and apparently their revenue was 63% attributed to game day revenue they were 12th in MLB attendance the cubs finished 4th so it is not out of the realm at all that the cubs 70% is an accurate figure in terms no, of no i game I, never, day revenue. I never
3: doubted i never doubted uh, tom Rick. a lot of others uh, did the, a lot of others did of i mean why as an owner would you come out and say something that was that would be such a, a big factor and a huge amount of money, and and be false in that claim. I mean, it just well. The wasn't, thought was, it, it, I, I think, it, it, yeah. Especially to the most excuse me, just for a second, Matt. Especially to the most important people, fan base, which is your season ticket holders. This was a private conversation with mm-hmm. the season ticket holders that Tom was having along with Crane Kenny and uh, you know a couple of the other executives of the Cubs. So why would you why would you you know, present something to uh, to the fans, telling them how important they are, uh, you know, sitting there listening to the call, maybe ten thousand strong, and uh, then you know, not be able to back that up.
1: I, I debated it with Parkins one afternoon when I was in for Mac, and a couple other times on the score, because the thought was that that an owner like Tom would. Would would make that figure bigger than what it really was as a negotiating ploy, saying, "See, we're making so little without the game days, that's why we have to ask you to take less." But the truth is that, and I think we've 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 shown throughout the last couple of weeks, certain clubs make a lot more on game day than other clubs do. That's just <clears throat> a flat-out fact.
3: Without a doubt, and you know that included uh, before we get to our good friend Wayne Randazzo, but. Matt, that includes uh, the LLCs that the, the Cubs are involved with and the footprint right. of Wrigley Field and the rooftops and the restaurants and uh, whatever little parking they have. They don't own a lot of parking around there, but you know, the, the reality that this is all about the Wrigley footprint and the 1060 project that we saw go up was not just about uh, renovating the ballpark, but it was also investing in Wrigleyville and making that uh, a go-to guest a destination, uh, not only for during uh, baseball games, 81 days out of the year, but uh, all year long. And that's still a work in progress. And that, that has been uprooted at this point in time as well.
1: It's 670 The Score. You're listening to Inside the Clubhouse. He's Bruce Levine. I'm Matt Spiegel. And our next guest joins us right now as we broadcast live, by the way, from the Hyundai Studios, brought to
3: you by your local Hyundai dealers. Well, Matt, it's always a pleasure to bring in a former a teammate of ours and a former co-host on this show inside the clubhouse. Our good friend Wayne Randazzo, the Mets broadcaster, does Mets radio with our good buddy Howie Rose in New York, joins us today. Good morning, Matt. How are you this morning? I mean, Matt.
2: Bruce. Wayne. <laughs> You're well, know, we'll even if I right. got
3: your name right, right? How are you, Wayne?
2: Hi, Bruce. Hi, Speaks. Hey,
3: Wayne. How are we nice doing to today? Talk to you. Um, what is the... What is New York all about right now? What is the perception of baseball coming back to New York City?
2: Well, you know, I think that people will welcome it as, you know, some sort of a distraction, some sort of a return to normalcy in, in at least a little bit of a way, although I think we'll find out pretty quickly that it will be anything but normal when when baseball does come back because of all of, health care restrictions that have to be put in place and no fans in the stadium and all that. So uh, I I do think, though, that people are ready to have it. And I think a lot of people are looking back to September 11th and and how the Mets' return, especially to Shea Stadium, was uh, so impactful. Mike Piazza's home run in the first game back in New York after 9-11. And, you know, the Mets were leading the charge in, in what was then the return to normalcy after that tragedy this is a lot different. But I, I do think that there is still that thought that New York City has been the epicenter of this thing here in this country and that baseball coming back will have a, a sense of, of healing along with it.
1: A hey, hey, Wayne, I, you know, Canada... And the Toronto Blue Jays will be in trouble in terms of the ability to use their home ballpark. Maybe they'll have to go down to Dunedin and play in their spring training facility if the plan that we've heard publicized takes place. How are the Yankees and Mets uh, suited, according to the governor, the mayor, the people you've heard talk about it? Does it look like Yankee Stadium and City Field for the Mets will be usable?
2: I think so. The the other day was a report that for spring training, they're going to go back to Florida. Both teams will go down to Florida to, to do their uh, second part of spring training. It seems like some teams are choosing to stay in their home areas. I think the Pirates and Phillies are going to stay up in, in Pittsburgh and, and Philadelphia, respectively. And some teams are going to return to their spring training locations, which it sounds like the Mets and the Yankees are going to do. But I do think that once the regular season begins, they're going to try to be in, in city Field. And Yankee Stadium, you know, Governor Cuomo has already said that that he will welcome them back, and that they're ready to welcome them back. Uh, Mayor De Blasio is on board, so I think all all the blessings have been had, and I think that the teams will be allowed to come back if they choose to. Uh, you know, I know some of the thought process here behind having the teams play in their own stadiums as opposed to their spring training facilities is because of all the signage that at least there will still be some money coming in for advertisements for having the signs in their ballparks up instead of being in their spring training facilities. So I'm sure as far as revenue is concerned, these teams do prefer to be in their home stadiums, even if there's no fan.
3: Wayne Randazzo joining us, uh, the Mets broadcaster, obviously a great Chicagoan and a former teammate of ours on inside the clubhouse. And, Wayne, uh, broadcasting itself may uh, be uh, the ultimate challenge for the broadcasters who've done these games for uh, decades and years and, uh, you know, all the, the facts about uh, being a TV, but more, more importantly, maybe in this case, radio broadcaster and whether or not uh, radio broadcasters will be able to travel, TV broadcasters able to travel. Uh, we're hearing rumblings that they probably won't be. Uh, how would that challenge impact you and Howie and every other radio broadcaster when you're you're going to be uh, possibly doing games off of a monitor uh, for an entire half season?
2: Yeah, you know, it's, it's going to be a, a unique thing, especially even the home games because they, you know there won't be any fans there. And there won't be any opportunity to to really thrive off having that enthusiasm in the crowd. So, you know, that's going to be an adjustment in and of itself. Now, for the road games, we're talking about the possibility of either doing them in the studio at, at WCBS or still doing the games at City Field just because we'll have our booth and we'll have all that and at least we'll be in a baseball stadium even though we won't be in the same one that the Mets are playing in and uh, trying to figure out how to do it through the monitors. Now, I I did college baseball at the Big Ten Network, and we often did the baseball and the softball games in the studio in Chicago, watching it off of two monitors. We'd have one with the live feed, and then another monitor that had all the camera angles. I think those were four camera shows, so we had four different camera angles, so we can kind of see a complete picture of what was going on at the stadium that we weren't at. And you know they pumped in the nat sounds, they pumped in the crowd noise, so there was at least some some ambiance of the field in your head and it was it was okay you know it wasn't it wasn't it wasn't like you couldn't see things it wasn't like there wasn't an opportunity to you know give a true call of the game so you know I think uh, I think that howie and I will manage, and that will be fine
1: well wow, that, that's great didn't realize Wayne that you have such specific experience in that realm with the Big Ten baseball and softball and the fact that you and, and, and the Mets broadcasters have discussed these these possibilities and these options. I It sounds like you're realizing the opportunity that's there to kind of shape a broadcast and also be honest with the listeners about the reality that we're in. I think, or at viewers I should say, or, or listeners, <laughs> I, I think people are, are really responsive and receptive to the openness and the honesty of the, of the situation, and a little more personality um, because of the the awkward circumstance.
2: Yeah, you know, I, I think that's uh, it's going to be interesting for us. And you know, it's on radio. We want to paint the picture. We want to be able to you know tell you how the infield is is shifted and, and tell you where the outfielders are and, and try to paint as much of what's going on as, as possible. So you know, I'm hoping we, we're able to do that. Uh, it sounds like that as far as the TV broadcasts go, that only the home TV feeds will be used. They're not going to send a road TV crew. They're not going to send a production truck. They're not going to send even road TV cameras. So, you know, if it's if the Cubs are playing the Cardinals, you're going to get the Cardinals' feed for the Cubs' TV broadcast. You know, Len and, and J.D. will still be the announcers, but they're going to have to go by whatever pictures the Cardinals are showing. Uh, in that particular game, so that that will be an adjustment in and of itself. Uh, you know, it'll be it'll be a lot different. I know last year the Mets TV set up a booth cam. You know, a lot of different broadcasts have done the booth cam, where you can kind of see the reactions of broadcasters as things are happening. I think we're going to have one in our booth this year, just to just to kind of show something because there there aren't many people that are going to be in these games or in these ballparks. Yeah, I think there's going to be a limit even on game day for the employees as to how many can be there. So it, uh, it's going to be different times for everybody, but I, I think that we'll adjust to it for the time being and, and hopefully get back to what, what our normal travel schedules look like and our normal broadcasts are as soon as possible.
3: Wayne, what did the Mets look like as uh, spring training closed out uh, on, on March the 13th and baseball was suspended? Uh, how were they looking? What were the expectations uh, with the new manager and uh, you know some new uh, ideas about uh, that rotation still picking up where it had left off three or four years ago?
2: Yeah, there's a lot of optimism around the Mets. You know, even even more so offensively than, than with the pitching. You know, the way Pete Alonso came along as a rookie last year, and how Jeff McNeil's been over the last year and a half uh, since his call up to the big leagues, and and how the team has really tried to create a new culture there. I mean, these guys uh, have really an incredible camaraderie. With JD Davis with Dominic Smith, so you know Michael Conforto. They, they've really gelled together incredibly well. And they were excited to play for Louis Rojas, the new manager. That's not uh, a familiar name, but he is certainly related to a lot of familiar names. His brother is Moises Alou. His dad is Felipe Alou. He's got this great baseball lineage. He is is, as steady and sturdy as they come. He he managed in the Mets farm system for over 10 years. He's still in just his upper 30s, still a pretty young guy. For a big league manager, so they they all respect him. They've mostly played for him. A lot of guys that have come up through the farm system have already played for Louie, and you know there's certainly a, a big difference in the managerial chair for the Mets this year. So they were looking forward to uh, to being a competitive team this year. Now in a short season, half a season, you know I, I wonder how it's going to look. If if you're a team like the Mets and you've got one enormously great pitcher in Jacob Degrom. Do you just pitch him every fifth day no matter what? Do you skip the other guys in the rotation to make sure that that he pitches as many of these 80 games as possible? I think that's something that they need to look at, especially with Noah Syndergaard. He's not available this year. He's, He's having Tommy, or he already had Tommy John surgery, so we won't see him. Zach Wheeler left in free agency, so the starting pitching might not be exactly what it was, how it's been the last few years, but I think where they are offensively, I think how they've they've built up their bullpen. They've they've added Delon Betances, and I also think that they're one of the few National League teams suited for having a DH. They already have a plethora of position players. If Yoenis Cespedes gives them anything this year, as far as an offensive player is concerned, he's the perfect DH for them. So you know, I think if if things are going to change in in a lot of ways here, that the Mets can actually roll with the punches better than most.
1: It's nice to talk baseball, real baseball, and to talk about what a short season might be. Let's uh, let's hope this is the last week without a definitive yes or no, and hopefully we get a yes. Thank you, Wayne.
3: Wayne, we right, appreciate it you very much, buddy. Thank you so Always much, and uh, stay happy and healthy. Thanks again for joining Matt and I on Inside the Clubhouse.
2: All right, sounds good. Take care, guys. Take care.
3: Thanks, Wayne. Wayne Rendazzo, Mets broadcaster, Chic- lifelong Chicagoan, and uh, former host of this show and teammate of ours at The Score joining us on Inside the Clubhouse. And uh, uh, if you you stay tuned, of course, uh, John Lester will join us at the top of the hour.
1: I felt you really enjoying Wayne uh, as your as your former co-host right there, Bruce. That was
3: awkward for was, me. Was that, uh, was that painful for you, man?
1: Man, I just, you know, who else do you want to get
3: on? He uh, was actually a teammate of yours, too. I don't know if you remember <laughs> that or not. <laughs> well,
1: Wayne's, Wayne's, Wayne's the goods, and I'm thrilled for his, uh, his success. Very, very deserving, without a doubt. As Absolutely. Bruce mentioned, John Lester, top of the hour. Looking forward <laughs> to that. Your phone calls and texts, always welcome on Inside the Clubhouse. Right here on 670, The Score. Welcome back in on 670 to Score. He's Bruce Levine. I am Matt Spiegel. John Lester of the Cubs is going to join us right around the top of the hour right here on The Score. Love the thought from Wayne Randazzo, Bruce, about maybe the Mets using Jacob deGrom every fifth day no matter what the schedule says. You want to put him out there as much as possible. You've talked about the possibility of teams using openers um and and approaching the pitching staff that way there's going to be a lot of room for 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 some creativity here that's also going to of course have to take the health of the players into account from the managers
3: yeah i think you're right and, and depending upon what that taxi squad is going to be like so to inform people you know baseball is talking about expanding to maybe 30 35 people available for your roster in in 2020 only and the ability to uh, name your 25 or 26, which what it was uh, supposed to be the number this year on a given day, uh, that that's also a possibility of a experimental for the future as well when we approach a new CBA in 2021 and going past that. Um, so you know the D, the universal DH is going to be a part of this. Uh, this type of experimentation will be interesting. So. The creativity of uh, new rules and new ideas might go along with, as you you put it, Matt, uh, You know, protecting your pitchers, not forcing them to pitch too much. Certainly, initially, if you're only going to have a three-week spring training, you're not having uh, Jacob deGrom or John Lester or uh, pitchers like that throwing six or seven innings and throwing 100 pitches after uh, an aborted spring training and then a, a new three-week-long spring training. That is certainly... Not going to be prudent as you move forward.
1: Remember what the Rockies tried, I want to say seven or eight years ago, piggybacking. Mm. Um, And it's, it's happened in the minor leagues in a couple of different organizations. But the Rockies on the big league level did a piggyback, so not, not really an opener, but they would have two starters assigned to a given day, and each one would go three or four innings um, as needed. And I think that, that if I were a manager, I, I would think about that, just giving all my guys a chance to keep stretching out over those first few weeks while I piggybacked when, ap- when applicable.
3: Yeah, I mean, if you look at it uh, from a numbers part, it might make sense, and from a fact that you want to get these guys in shape, but... How many how many teams have that many quality pitchers to roll yeah. out there, and yeah. uh, and how many uh, relievers are used to throwing more than just uh, one inning, or in in special cases just two? I mean, we we do live in the era of specialty relievers that are a big part of the game. So uh, you know, rolling them out past one inning, uh, having more than one long man on your team or in your organization might be the way to go this year. Uh, you know, instead of uh, a guy like Alzale possibly uh, going back to the minor leagues this year, uh, might he be a long man and might he pitch two or three times a week in a mm-hmm. new specified role? Uh, that might be something that we see going forward this season.
1: Would make a lot of sense. And then, um, and then Wayne talking about as you had asked. Broadcasting road games possibly from the studio, or Wayne said maybe from City Field um, mm-hmm. in their booth, depending on the monitor situation. We got word this week from uh, Matt Vasgersian, the play-by-play man of ESPN Sunday Night Baseball. He was on a podcast in Chicago actually, and had. Um, and he said that, that they suspect they will not be traveling for Sunday Night baseball broadcasts that it will they'll be doing the games um, from from the studio. I, I wonder what press Row is going to look like during a ball game,
3: Bruce? Uh, it's going to be very sparse, very sparse and spread out and, and uh, I'm sure affiliates, uh, you know radio television affiliates, uh, national writers are going to be uh a severely limited not only is amounts let in the ballpark but access i think will be uh curtailed almost entirely to um probably either behind uh partitions or maybe more more appropriately uh in conferences uh that you pick up on your telephone that's probably the more likely way that we're going to be interviewing and talking to players in two thousand and twenty, if there's a baseball season.
1: Hmm. And finally, some of those players get what they want. you, me, all of us, out of that clubhouse. They'll be thrilled.
3: Yeah, I, you know, I mean, a lot of them uh, don't like it, but there's there's plenty that love the discourse and 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 they all will find out if they don't already know that baseball is uh, so uniquely uh, enjoyed by uh, fans because of the amount of information that is out yeah. there for them. And the inside stuff and the features that are run on television radio and in uh, print or on the internet that is the lifeblood of uh, of baseball and I, d- I don't say it just because we make our living at it the reason we do make our living at it was for that reason alone in most cases was the fact that hey you could get great information you knew more about the sport than the other sports because uh, the great reporters out there giving you information uh, as you were growing up, falling in love with sports, in baseball in particular, and then going into it as a field.
1: Without a doubt, and there's an appetite for it. There's, all right, this guy said this. What do you think about that? Well, you know, you've got to have that interaction to, to really get anywhere. It's inside the clubhouse here on 670 The Score. Later on next hour, you'll hear from some uh, some compelling guests that uh, were on The Score this week with some stuff that maybe you might have missed, a player, a broadcaster, and a Hall of Fame writer. But when we come back, John Lester of the Cubs is expected to join us right here on 670 The Score.